Masechet Rosh Hashanah Daf Tet. We have two topics today. Number one, the idea of extending Shemitah and Shabbat, both earlier and later. We're going to see there's, they're, they're basically similar, and uh, we're going to see the opinion of Rabbi Akiva and of Rabbi Ishmael, what is the source for extending more time of the holiness of Shemitah and Shabbat and the prohibitions of both before and after. And the second topic will be the requirements for your veil to take effect. It's quite a surprising halacha that uh, if you don't do some or all of the requirements of your veil, then the, the entire law does not take effect at all. Uh, so we'll see the details of, about that and, and three different opinions. Okay, so we begin uh, here. Um, yesterday we were talking about Yovel, and we mentioned the possibility that uh, Yovel continues into the 51st year, all the way until Yom Kippur, kind of extending, just like we extend uh, Shabbat and Shemitah. So since we mentioned that possibility, now we're going to go into the Shabbat and Shemitah directly. How do we know that there is a requirement to add from the, the, the whole day or, or uh, time period uh, to Kodesh as well? So here is source number one. from Shemot That says you should rest during the plowing and the harvest. This pasuk is ambiguous. It's not clear if it's talking about Shabbat or Shemitah, and it's taken both ways. Uh, here, Rabbi Akiva is going to apply it to Shemitah. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Eno so Rabbi Akiva says, uh, since I understand this is to be talking about Shemitah, then it's redundant. Another pasuk in Vayikra already says that in the seventh year, you should not plow your field. You should not sow your field. Ella, so why do I need this pasuk in Shemot? Ella harish shel aerev shevi'ait anichnas la shevi'ait bekasir shel shevi'ait hayoseh lemoseh shevi'ait. So rather, when the pasuk in Shemot says don't plow, it's adding to the prohibition that I already know in Vayikra. Vayikra tells me the year itself, and then Shemot says, oh, the plowing, even plowing before Shemitah, don't prepare the 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 field before Shemitah starts so that things will grow better on, on Shemitah itself. No, the pre-plowing is not allowed. And even afterwards, if something starts growing a third of its growth during the Shemitah year, then even on the, in the eighth year after Shemitah is over, you still, can't, you still have to treat that whatever grows as if it was Shemitah produce, which means you can take it for personal use, but you can't hoard it, you can't um, sell it commercially. So that's how we know you have to add more, more time, both before and after. Okay, so that's Rabbi Akiva's source. And he doesn't give a source for Shabbat, but they're going to end up being their equivalent. Uh, just like if I have a source for, for, for Shemitah, Shabbat also was supposed to add time beforehand, which we do. We have uh, the candle lighting, 18 minutes. That's the reason for that is to add some time. It doesn't have to be exactly 18 minutes. And so, you know, if, if, uh, if someone needs a few more minutes, that's okay. But you, should, you, shouldn't go, you shouldn't go to the last second. You should add some time both before and after. Now, to be Ishmael Omer, Meharish Reshut Af Kasir Reshut. Kesira Ishmael uses that pasuk for a completely different uh, reason. He says, he learns from it that when you do Korban HaOmer, you're allowed to cut that barley on Shabbat. This is the second night of, uh, of Pesach. 
um, they when when we have in Chutzla, so we have the second seder, but in Israel it's uh, it's now um, uh, it's chol, uh, and so that night, if it was Shabbat, right, the second night of of Pesach was Shabbat. On Friday night, you they would go out and cut some barley and then bring it in, and the next day they would wave it to Korbana Omer. Um, and so then everyone could eat from the new grain. So how do you know that you're allowed to do that even on Shabbat? So because the Pasuk compares plowing to cutting, just like plowing is the shoot, there's no instance anywhere in Halakha that one is, would be required to plow on Shabbat. There's diff- different things you can do on Shabbat for the purpose of the Bet HaMikdash, like uh, you know, um, putting things on the fire and slaughtering, but never plowing. So just like plowing uh, is a voluntary act, so too, harvesting is only prohibited when it's a voluntary harvesting. In other words, when you're doing it on, for, for yourself. But if you're doing it for a mitzvah, which is kodvan Ahmed, then you are allowed to violate Shabbat, uh, override, override Shabbat, uh, in order to do this mitzvah. So the Bishmael uses pasuk for something completely different, nothing to do with adding time before and after. Seems that Rabbi Akiva would not agree with the Bishmael here. He would say, since you can uh, cut the barley uh, uh, two days before, you don't have to do it on that day. So cut it before, leave it, leave it in storage in the Bet Mikdash, and then you can bring the Korban HaOmer. So you would disagree with this totally. Okay, so now we have a source for the Akiba that you have to add time before and after in a Shemitah year, and therefore in Shabbat also. How about Rabbi Ishmael? He agrees with this law, so what's his source? I'll read the whole pasuk. Um, so this is talking about Yom Kippur, the Shabbat Shabbaton, and you should make yourselves suffer on the ninth of the day of the month. Now we know Yom Kippur is the tenth of the month. So why is it saying on the ninth? Well, it's on the ninth in the evening. Uh, in other words, at the end of the ninth, day towards the afternoon evening from nightfall to nightfall from evening to evening okay so this is very a really curious pasuk because um because in general all in 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 the day starts in the night and so is this pasuk coming to tell me something different does it usually start in the morning and yom kippur is different Right? That's not, we don't have that uh, concept in halacha. So therefore, why is it telling me that Yom Kippur is on the ninth at night? So No, no, it's, uh, it's at the end of the ninth. So do you mean after it gets dark, after the ninth? But then it's not the ninth anymore. So what's the purpose of telling me the ninth day? So rather, you should start fasting even from a little bit of the day before on the ninth in the afternoon. And so you're supposed to add from Hol Al Kodesh, supposed to add holiness to, the, to that day. And that's, in fact, what we do. If you look at different schedules on, uh, on Yom Kippur, uh, officially the fast begins at sunset. It's the same time when no, you're not allowed to work and wear shoes. Everything starts at sunset. Nevertheless, um, the, the schedules will usually add a few minutes before, uh, you know, a half hour or 15 minutes, whatever it is, you have to add some time before. Um, since most of the, the men are going to bed Knesset anyway beforehand to put on their talit, so they already stop eating before. 
um, but we do put it on the schedules that way. So that's how we learned that you should add a few minutes before Yom Kippur because the Pasuk talks about fasting even on the ninth, part of the ninth. Good. Now that's the beginning of Yom Kippur. How about that? At the end of Yom Kippur, you shouldn't start uh, eating um, one minute after it's done. You should add, add a couple of minutes, add something. Because the Pasuk says from nightfall to, from evening to evening. So just like in the beginning, you added a few minutes. So to at the end, you add a few minutes. So now Pasuk for Yom Kippur. What about Shabbat? The rest of the Pasuk, let's look at it inside. Right, it says, Tishpetu Shabbatechem. So from the word Tishpetu, we know to add that Shabbat also, you have to add a few minutes before and after, not doing work. Yamim tovim inayin, how about holidays? Tamudoma Shabbatechem, the last word in the Pasuk. Hakesad koma kum sheyesh boshevut, mosifin mechol al Kodesh. The general rule is, anytime that there's a prohibition of, of doing work, the Shabbat, Yom Tov, Yom Kippur, so you have to add, a few minutes uh, before and after, now also not doing work. If it's a day that you don't have to do work, like uh, Rosh Chodesh or Purim, then uh, you don't have to add anything. Um, okay, good. So that is the Bishmael's source. Now we turn to the Be'akiva. Be'akiva, you already have a source that you learned that you add uh, time. You learned it from Shemitah, and, and from Shemitah, we say that's equivalent to Shabbat and Yom Tov. So Be'akiva, what are you going to do with this pasuk that says, you should fast on the ninth. So the Bakiba is going to rely on this Badaita, famous one that asks, Do we fast on the ninth? Do we fast on the 10th? Anyone who eats and drinks on the 9th, it's as if he fasted both on the 9th and the 10th. So even though the Pasuk says, you should make yourself suffer on the 9th, it doesn't mean literally, it means actually the opposite. Why so? How, why should we say it means the opposite? Well, kind of as follows. Because you're, you're fasting on the 10th, so if you're preparing yourself by eating on the 9th, then on the 9th, you're already thinking about Yom Kippur, so you already started the process. So even that is a preparation for a mitzvah, but a preparation for a mitzvah is itself also a mitzvah. So the two in combination join together, the eating on the 9th and the fasting on the 10th, uh, both rely on each other. Furthermore, Yom Kippur does have an aspect of a happy day. Um, we do dress nicely, so it is a Yom Tov, and since we don't eat, but you're supposed to eat on a Yom Tov, so then eating on the ninth kind of fulfills the requirement for, uh, for the, uh, the onig that we would have on the Yom Tov if it were not a fast day, and so we do that on the ninth, so the ninth and the tenth are really joined together. All right, so now that we have, by the way, this should not be confused with possibly fasting for two days because of Yom Tov Sheni Shel Galuyot. Uh, it is interesting. For all the other holidays, we do have a double uh, two days because we don't know. But how about Yom Kippur? Why don't we fast for two days? Because we're not sure when Yom Kippur is. If After all, the second day of Rosh Hashanah was the real day then. Um, then the 11th would be the real Yom Kippur. And the answer to that is 
that there actually were some sages that back in Talmudic times that did fast for two days um, because of that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, this is uh, too difficult to impose on everyone. So for Yom Kippur, we do not do that. Um, but uh, instead, eating the day before, that's the double day. Okay, so that uh, concludes topic number one, um, that we should extend Shemitah year and Shabbat. And this is done right now today in Shemi the Shemitah year in Israel. You have to know when a, a tree or something was planted. And um, if it's uh, close to Shemitah, then you wouldn't be able to use it. If it's farther away, you would. And the Be'akiva learns it from Shemot, which he takes to be re regarding Shemitah, and extends that to Shabbat. Bishmel has a pasuk from, from Yom Kippur, which then is extended to Shabbat and Yom Tov, and from there to Shemitah as well. Question? Yeah, I'm just curious how the rabbis reconcile this with that with this the, the, the explicit command in the Torah, Lotosifu, right? So this is Asnachta, and the other one is straight up in there. Okay, good. Um, so uh, in this case, uh, since they're learning it from Pesukim, it would seem that they would consider this perhaps to be mid-deoraita. Um, it's a good question whether this can be considered deoraita or like a gezera, so that you shouldn't come to violate. I, 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 would, uh, I, I think that in the Tanaitic sources here, because they're learning it from Pasuk, they consider it a deoraita. Therefore, they're not, the rabbis are not adding. This is in the Pesukim themselves. Um, even though it's a derivation and maybe not very explicit, nevertheless, it's right there. And in this case, we're lucky enough to have some help from the Dead Sea Scrolls because in the Damascus document, the very beginning of it says that you should stop working on Shabbat uh, because it's Tishmar, so you have to be careful uh, from it. And even from the time that the sun just begins to go uh, down from the horizon, when it's still a sun length away from the horizon, so several minutes before sunset, one must stop doing work. And it quotes a pasuk. The Dead Sea Scrolls rarely quote pasukim uh, as, a, as a source, so you know, because they don't really have the concept of a derasha. Um, but in this case, they do. And so this is a, a actually a fantastic case where we can see that this is a very old halacha agreed upon even by, you know, by, across the board uh, to add, and it's derived from pasukim and considered the oraita. Uh, so that's, uh, so therefore, this would not be baltasif. That's a great point. All right. So now we get to the next topic, which is the requirements for Yovel to take effect. Yovel is different from really anything else, uh, like Shabbat, for example. If, if uh, you have a large group of people that are ignoring Shabbat, just not keeping it, doesn't matter. They're, the Shabbat is still Shabbat. They're violating, right? Um, but for Yovel, we're going to see that if people are not keeping the laws of Yovel, then Yovel does not apply. And so let's see how this works. We're going to see three opinions. The Biuda says that the key is freeing slaves. As long as people are freeing slaves, then Yovel takes effect, even if they're not doing the other requirements. The Biuda says is blowing shofar is the only uh, uh, necessary thing. And if they're blowing shofar, then, then the law applies and people, you can't uh, plow your field and so on. But if you don't blow shofar, then it does not apply. And the sages say, you have to do all the laws in order for the agricultural laws to apply. If any of the laws are not done, then your veil does not apply at all. And that depends on the people actually doing it. So let's see how this works. Tenora banan. Yovel hi so the word yovel says it is a yovel, and even if the people uh, don't uh, 
uh, release their property. And even if they don't blow shofar, it's still a yovel and you have to stop working your land. But what if people don't release their slaves? So the word he, um, you say, right, so Yovel is an expanding word, but he is a limiting word. It's he all this Yovel only if you do the what came right before in the Pasuk, which is to release everyone. Um, okay, so that's the word, that's the, the, the derivation of so releasing the slaves that's the key um i mean he doesn't quote he doesn't quote but he we might also have in mind in yirmiyah where he makes a berit with sidkiyah to make sure that everyone releases all the slaves and then they, they people release them but take them back and then that's a cause for a terrible destruction so you see from there that the releasing of the slaves is a an essential part of the berit and a essential part of yovel as well so he says, even if they do not release the property, and even if they don't send the slaves away, it's still a um, it's still a yovel. But what if they don't blow shofar? So he is the limiting word and says, if the bet din does not blow shofar, then yovel does not apply. So that's the only essential law of them. And so if they don't blow shofar, then you can work your land. If they do blow shofar, then you cannot work your land, even if you didn't do the other things. So that's a biyoseh. The biyoseh can explain his reasoning. I mean, after all, you have the, the, the same pesukim are there and says, uh, uh, the yovel says you should include something, and he says you should exclude something. So why, why am I, it seems, seems arbitrary. How come I'm saying it is a yovel? That a yovel applies even if they don't send their slaves, but it does not apply unless they blow shofar. Why am I picking one over the other to be in, uh, inclusive and exclusive? Because I can imagine a time, a world where there will be no need to send away slaves. Maybe there'll be a time when there are no slaves. And maybe we're living in that time today. Um, I mean, there are people still, still people uh, oppressed, um, but there's no one had, who is uh, officially uh, 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 Jews who are officially in the category of uh, being owned by their owners and halachic slavery. Um, uh, so therefore, who would, uh, this would not apply. Um, so there could be a situation where it would not apply. Um, but there never will be a time when there's no shofar that you can't find a shofar to blow. This is always going to be something that you can do. And therefore, it doesn't make sense to, to make the application of the jubilee depend on freeing slaves because maybe that won't be applicable at all. So that's his reasoning. That's number one. Davar the B.O.C. gives another reason. Blowing shofar is dependent on the betin. They get together, they get a shofar, they blow it. It's in their power to accomplish it. Whereas freeing slaves is not in their power. It depends on all the people going and freeing their slaves. So it makes sense that Yovel should be dependent on something that is in the power of betin to do. If other people are violating the law and not sending their slaves, then, I mean, Betin will try to bring them in and, and correct them and punish them, but uh, they can't actually 
force them physically to do it. Well, they can force them, but it's not in their power to just make it happen, uh, unlike Shofar. Okay, so that makes sense, and those are his two reasons. Now we wonder, why did he need two reasons? Because the first reason regarding the sending away slaves, they say, maybe you'll say, it's impossible. It's got to be somewhere, someone, somewhere in the world who is still uh, following this uh, ancient law. I don't know, maybe there is today. Someone who still has a halachic slave. Um, that would be interesting to find that person. And so you say, it's impossible. It's got to be somewhere in the world. Really, it would have to be in Israel uh, that, uh, that uh, to whom this law doesn't apply. So then you don't like the first reason. I'll give you the second reason. That's in the power of Betin to blow shofar. And therefore, that's the main essential ingredient for shofar, for Yovel, to apply. And nowadays, we don't have a betin, we don't have a sanazin, so they're not blowing shofar, and that's why uh, nowadays we do not have the whole concept of yovel, we don't even count it at all. All right, good. Now, Now we just explained the biyoseh, we gave two reasons for him. What's the reason for the biyuda uh, that says that the essential thing is sending away the slaves? Only if you do that, then the jubilee year applies. Because the Pasuk says, see the bold, right? The, that says, and the law right before is now it's true, there are other laws that come after it, which is. Everybody goes back to his ancestral land. And then after that, it says, and don't plow your field. And before that, the whole pasuk before it says, you should blow shofar. So yeah, there are a lot of other laws, but Yovel, he, um, if anytime you have a pronoun, it should go on the immediately antecedent clause, which is about freeing slaves. So the point is that the mikra is explained according to what comes immediately before and not two clauses before, which is, would be the shofar. And that's why the biyudah just reads it in context. Okay, good. So now we have the sources for both. This word derod, we're going to explain. Everyone agrees that the word derod means being free. Uh, how does the word derod mean that? It's a, a curious word. That says derod means liberty. Uh, it comes from the idea of to dwell, that someone who is free is someone who could live anywhere he wants, and he can bring merchandise and move it around the country anywhere he wants, right? That's the key to, what, to freedom, right? A slave's movement is limited. He has to, you can only go if his, you can only go somewhere if his master gives him permission. Um, you know, there's other things he can do. He can think things, he can sing, he can um, right, do lots of other things, but freedom of movement is the number one key. And therefore, Dedor means he can dwell anywhere he wants. He can live any, anywhere you want. Freedom of movement. Okay, good. Now, now that we have two opinions, we're going to see a third. Say, no, all, all three requirements, uh, uh, laws of Yovel have to be done in order for the Yovel to be in effect. Uh, you have to free the slaves 
and blow shofar and uh, all the land land owning land has to go back to its owner only if all three are done does the do the laws of yovel in terms of agriculture take a Take effect. They disagree with uh, the Biuda's uh, uh, methodology, and they say that although it just says Yovel uh, um, in the middle, Yovel applies to everything. The whole paragraph you have to do even two laws before the previous one and the next pasuk also. All of them are required. Good. Now back at Yovel. Wait a second. But what about the inclusive word yovel that comes to tell you that it is a yovel even though you missed uh, one or two of the items what are you going to do with this inclusive word he says oh that comes to include that yovel applies even outside the land of israel amazing hold on but the pasuk also says in the land which suggests that jubilee only the laws only apply in the land no that comes to teach that when the Jubilee applies in the land, then it will also apply outside the land. But when it does not apply in the land, then it does not apply outside the land either. So that's the connection there of Yovel and Ba'aretz to show that they are dependent upon each other. So nowadays it does not apply in Israel, does not apply anywhere else either. Um, if and when it does apply, then we're going to have to think about how it applies outside. So we're now we're going to go on to the next, we're just going to begin the next clause of the Mishnah, Ve'lanetia'ah, uh, regarding planting. So we said Tishrei is also the new year when it comes to trees, uh, when you want to count up how many years there are to, uh, for a new tree, for Orla, the first three years, you can't use it at all. The fourth year is called Neta Revai, and then you have to bring it to Jerusalem and eat it there. So when we count that, it's not from the date that you plant the tree to the same date the next year, but rather, as long as you plant it some a little bit before Tishrei, Rosh Chodesh, uh, Rosh Chodesh Tishrei will count as year number one. So question is, how do we know this? shanim. This is the word here, shanim, and and it says also in the same context, the fourth year. And that pasuk in the varim that we quoted a couple of times yesterday, that from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, and that talks about the rain season and the rain that starts in Tishrei. So we know anytime you see the word Hashana, it refers to Tishrei, and so too the two instances of Hashana in Vayikra regarding Ola. Also, we're going to refer to Rosh Hashanah in Tishrei. We ask, Hold on, the word Shana also appears in Shemot Yudbet, where it's talking about Nisan. That's the first month, and it says the word Hashana. So why not say Orla is compared to Nisan? No, we're going to compare the word Shana without the word, the, without the modifier Chodashim from the one without the modifier. That would be these two Pesukim from Baikra and Devarim. And we're not going to compare the one that has the word, a modifier Chodshei Hashana in Shemot with one that does not have that modifier. And that's why we derive it that way. And uh, tomorrow we're going to see uh, the next Baraita, which is going to calculate precisely the beginning and ends of the years for counting Orla and Devai. Baruch Adonai Dolam, Amen Amen.